You're listening to Manx Radio, and I'm Judith Lay, welcoming you to the podcast of the Manx Sky at Night with Howard Parkin. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And that is the familiar music that tells us that once again it is time to welcome into the studio Howard Parkin for the final edition for this year of Manx Sky at Night. Faster my Howard. Faster my Judith, great to be here. And uh, belated but very, very sincere happy Christmas to and you. And the same to you, I hope you had a good one. Indeed I did, thank you very much Howard and uh, we stand on the threshold of a new year but we have Mm. so much still to talk about Oh yes and uh, things to review and things to look forward to We start, as we always do, having a look at our winter skies and uh, what would you like to tell us about those Howard? Well they've been fantastic recently we've had some really good nights in the last few weeks and lots of people have said to me about how many stars they see someone just said to me a few weeks ago about how the fact that the US went outside they couldn't believe how many stars there were and people and I've mentioned this before and no doubt I will again uh, people go outside in winter and they see this profusion of very bright stars and they think that's because it's winter it isn't it's just the fact that there are so many bright stars in the winter sky the same stars will be visible in the southern hemisphere summer but I was just adding up before we did the programme. Of the top 25 stars in the sky, all the brightest stars in the night sky, there are eight alone just in a very small patch of the winter sky from sort of the southern horizon up to overhead and roughly the same distance across, so 90 degrees. There are eight of the brightest stars in our sky in that very small area. And that's what people see. And again, I've said it before, but people just go outside and look at the stars and see how wonderful they are. Because on a cold, crisp winter's night, there's nothing like the majestic stars of winter, dominated by the constellation of Orion, which most people know Orion, very distinctive with three stars in a line, sloping down from upper right to bottom left. And when you see them, that's a real dominant constellation of the winter skies and a sign that winter is well and truly upon us. But as Orion slowly rises up from the east and sets in the west eventually, um, when he starts to fall over, we know spring's on the way. So look out for Orion falling over. Well, actually, spring is on the way because we've passed the shortest day. So now, technically, it might be only by a minute it's or so. Only a we... so, but it's slowly getting better. You know, there's 10 hours difference between the shortest day and the longest day. Shortest day, seven hours. Longest day, 17 hours. It's incredible. The two things that, that really move me about looking at our skies, I love when it is so light that you can go out walking at 10 o'clock at night oh, yes. and not need a torch. There's yeah. so much light from the sky, from oh, the yes. stars, from the moon, that you can walk safely as, as if it were daylight. Oh, yes, I mean, the full moon, it's, it's, it's very, very vivid, the full moon. You see it from your, through your bedroom curtains. I mean, you'll know when the moon is up because then um, it's still light. Your curtains are still lighter than the, the inside of your bedroom. But also, I look at the sky and I think, what is there there that we can't see? Mm. Oh, and you're getting into dark energy and dark matter, which is probably too much for our programme tonight. No, but, but just how many more stars and constellations and planets are that we, we just haven't discovered? We just, we just don't know anything well, about this will lead us on to what we'll talk about after the break, the new James Webb Telescope, which is being launched especially for that purpose. As you say, something to talk about a little bit later in the programme. Now, when we last talked a month ago, you were talking about meteor showers and you mm. said one of the best 
was about to come. It was indeed the Geminid Shower, which peaked a week last Monday on the 13th. And I did a story on Max Radio for to tell people to look out for it. And you know, Judy, for the first time in about four years, we had some clear weather. I went outside myself and I was looking for meet, uh, Geminid meteors. Uh, I saw about seven in about half an hour. It was a very patchy cloud, kept coming and going, coming and going. And when the sky completely clouded over about half past 12, I went back in. But I managed to see about seven. I put a note on Facebook to say that I'd seen seven stars. Anyone else seen any? And, you know, I got lots of people who also saw lots of shooting stars, including your very own Chris Williams, who said he was out stargazing. And, in fact, they mentioned it on the morning show the following day. Lots of people did see them. So not only were the shower there for me to tell people about, but people actually saw them for themselves as well. And I get such a kick out of that because there's always the worry that you won't see any. Oh, it's a clear night, you don't see a thing. Well, even with cloudy patterns, patches in the cloud, I saw one very bright one, went straight from Gemini right across the top of Orion. And I thought, wow, look at that. Well, that was the first one I saw, so I stayed a bit longer. And as I say, I saw about seven in total. I think once you have seen that, it does get you hooked. Oh, You're then looking so. for something else, aren't very you? You're looking so. for Someone else came back to me and they stayed about an hour. I must stress, and I always stress this, you must not just go outside and stick it out the door and think, oh, it's nothing. You're good. You do need to give yourself 10, 15 minutes to get your eyes attuned to the dark. That's right, to get our, our night sky's eyes That's going. It. So is that it? Uh, well, no, because we have just had another shower, the Ursage, which peaked around the 23rd of December. Uh, but I've got one more for you. On the 3rd of January, there's a shower that has grown in stature over recent years. This is the Quadranted Meteor Shower, which peaks on the evening of the 3rd and 4th. Um, this is another meteor shower that comes from a comet. And it has not been the most prolific of showers in uh, up till recently. But in 2014, there's about 150 an hour seen which is probably uh, more than you saw with the Geminis the other night. But this shower is always forgot about because by the time people realise we can talk about what's going on in the night sky for the, for the new year, the quadrantids have been and gone. So 3rd and 4th of, of January, look towards the northern horizon. This shower is unique in that it's named after a constellation that doesn't exist anymore. It's a constellation called Quadrans Moralis, which is an instrument used for navigation. It's actually just above the constellation of Ursa Major, the Plough for people who don't know where they're looking. And the moon won't interfere this year, so another good chance to see it. If we get a clear night on the 3rd, 4th, um, look out for the quadrantids on the northern horizon this time, not the eastern horizon. But again, remember, get your eyes used to the dark and look towards the, the eastern or the northeastern horizon in this case. Because And after midnight, that's when to look for them. I know I say this all the time, but, you know, we do this programme... <laughs> month by month and there is never a month when there isn't something new or well I don't know when there isn't something fresh to look oh, at absolutely. or or a particular conjunction or 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 as we're going to say next and there's a, a rarity coming a along very big rarity at the moment the 29th of this month which is literally only three days time is one of the best chances in recent years to see the planet mercury now, a lot of you will have seen those very bright stars in the sky in the last few weeks. And uh, we've had some good nights um, stargazing. Very bright star on the southwestern um, horizon, which is Venus. And above it, you've got the bright planet Jupiter. And between the two of them, you've got the fainter planet Saturn. And those three have been slowly trekking across the sky towards the west. Venus goes actually between the Earth and the Sun on the 9th of January. So Venus is getting lower and lower and lower, but close to the western horizon. But on the 29th, and for a few days after that, right through to about the 6th of January, you've got the faint planet Mercury rising in the sky. So by using the bright Venus and Jupiter and Saturn, of course, we've got a chance, literally on the 29th, 
and probably through to about the 3rd or 4th when Venus will disappear, but Mercury will still be visible. Now, Mercury is a bright planet. It is bright, but it's never seen in a dark sky. And what happens is because it's always in a light sky, in a sunset sky, twilight sky, um, it's difficult to spot. But all you've got to do is find Venus and look below and to the left of it. Use binoculars if you've got them. And if you see this faint star-like object, which will be the only one you'll see because it's the only thing bright enough to be seen in the twilight, that's Mercury. So you can get Mercury, Venus, Saturn and Jupiter all in the evening sky, roughly 29th through to about the 2nd of January, 3rd or 4th of January. Western but horizon as well. Mercury is only visible for about half an hour after sunset. So after the sun's gone down, um, maybe you might get about an hour. I think it reaches what we call elongation on the 6th of January, which is his maximum distance from the horizon. But by then, Venus will have been going down earlier. So if you're using Venus as a pointer, find Venus and then go to the left and lower from Venus. 29th, as I say, right through to about the 3rd or 4th of January. Usually, uh, towards the end of the year, you very helpfully offer us um, a, a night sky guide for Indeed. the coming year, which is a, a helpful kind of thing to have beside you to give you an idea. And also, it's a little reminder of the things that you'll talk mm. about on this programme. Are you going Indeed. to do that for us? I've already got it ready, Judith. And if anyone's interested, I'd be more than happy to email them a copy. Um, it's called the Night Sky 22, the Manx Night Sky 2022. And it lists all the meteor showers, when we can see the planets, uh, what's going on in the way of uh, other of events like eclipse. We've got a lunar eclipse um, sometime in April, I think it is. And we've also got another solar eclipse in October. But a very exciting event in December, we have an occultation of the planet Mars. I've never seen one of these. I've seen other occultations. And an occultation in astronomy is when an object covers another object and the moon is going to go over Mars. It's going to completely obscure Mars, as seen from the island, on the 9th of December next year. No doubt I'll be talking about that at the end of November. Yeah. Normally, the moon is so bright you can't see stars close to it. But Mars will be bright enough that with a pair of binoculars and maybe the naked eye, you'll see Mars just slowly get winked out by the moon going over it. And then what will be fascinating is Mars will reappear by magic, as it were, because the moon's limb will be dark. So it'll suddenly reappear. We have another similar event taking place later this month of the star Zubin el Ganubi, my favourite star name in the constellation of Libra. Um, but that's a bit more technical and you need big telescopes for that one. Mars on the 9th of December next year will be a big astronomical event and there'll be lots of astronomers and people like myself talking about that in the media. But the, to have a guide that's personalised for us on the island really is very, very useful. So if you'd like a copy of the Night Sky Guide for the Isle of Man for the coming year, the easiest way is for you to email Howard directly. And Howard, your email is... Howard Parkin, all one word, no dot in the middle, at manx.net. Howard Parkin at manx.net. And Howard will email you a personalised copy of what we can look forward to in the Manx night skies in the coming year. Indeed. Anything else that you'd like to tell us about the skies at the moment, Howard? This time of the year is always a great time of the year to stargaze because it's so dark for so long. When our next full moon isn't until the 17th of January, so get out there in the next first two weeks of January. We always tell people to do the stargazing when the moon isn't up. The moon is beautiful and well worth looking at, but uh, when the moon is new and each side of the new moon, that's the best time to look for these faint objects. But the never mind the faint objects, the bright constellations of winter uh, I often talk about the winter hexagon the winter hexagon which links all those eight stars I was mentioning to you before and um, they really are magnificent and it's a great as, as I've always said you don't have to know what you're looking at to appreciate it it's the same with looking at scenery or anything beautiful in an art gallery or wherever and it's the same with the heavens just go out and enjoy it wrap up warm 
And remember, and as a big bonus, of course, if you get to see the uh, quadranted meters as well, that'll be a big bonus for you. Let's take a break for some music before we start talking about things in space and somebody's visit to London <laughs> will be will be on the on the agenda for the next part of the programme. Now, I did think about using the Marcel's Blue Moon, but you get very upset when blue moons are mentioned, indeed. don't you, Howard? I do indeed. So I chose this instead. You were doing a lot of that. That was Jubal and uh, Dancing in the Moonlight. Is that what you were doing on Christmas night, Howard? Absolutely. You've got to do a bit of dancing. (laughs) Socially distanced, of course. But of course. But of course. Right. You are listening to the December edition of the Manx Sky at Night here on Manx Radio. And uh, with me is Howard Parkin. Now, we've uh, looked at our Manx skies in the first part of the programme. Let's talk about space and the big, big story, something that we have been chatting about for a while. And it is the launch of the James Webb Space Telescope. This amazing piece of technology that they've been talking about the launch of it since 2007. Originally, yeah. Let's just talk about what is so very, very special about it. First of all, it's replacing something, isn't it? 
Well, yes and no. It was originally planned to be the next generation space telescope to follow on from the Hubble. And indeed, there's been a whole succession of different telescopes looking at different wavelengths, the Spitzer, the Chandra and the Hubble. Hubble is the one that's got the most publicity. But the successor to the Hubble in particular uh, was always meant to be the James Webb Telescope. And originally it was meant to be launched in 2007, would you believe? And here we are in 2021 and we're finally getting there. Uh, the thing about it is it's going to be looking in different wavelengths. I heard a lovely story when I was in London, and we'll talk about that later, about this is the Commando Telescope. It's called the Commando Telescope because its main vision is going to be in infrared. So when you see these infrared um, images, where ghostly sort of white images, that's the wavelength uh, the James Webb is going to be looking at. But the big thing about James Webb is, A, its cost. It's cost up to date about $10 billion US dollars. Phenomenal amount of money. But it's 21 feet in diameter, the mirror, this special mirror. Now, bear in mind that the Hubble mirror is about seven foot in diameter. This is three times the diameter of that. But it's been made a very special way. It's been made of 16 mirror fragments, hexagonal mirror fragments, that will all fold out together to make this perfectly optical surface when it reaches its point in its orbit, which is going to what we call the Lagrange point two which is a gravitationally stable position where it won't need anything. It'll just sit in that position forever. And, of course, it's uh, it's going to be fantastic. It, it's meant to be looking back beyond, literally, as far back as we can see. We can see back to about 13.5 billion years with the Hubble. Uh, we hope to go back even further than that, almost to the point of the Big Bang and just after. That is the goal of the, 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 the James Webb Telescope. That's why it's been funded and a huge amount of money. And uh, as I say, it's uh, it's absolutely unbelievable. Has it been funded internationally? Is this a, yes. is this a collective? Work? It is. It's principally the United States and the European Space Agency. So that's all the countries that make up the European Space Agency have been funding it, which is why it was launched on a French rocket from French Guiana. It would be impossible to even guess at how much data it's going to send back over well, its life, is it. isn't it? Well, this is it. And what they're pleased about is they now have plans to operate the Hubble at one wavelength and the James Webb at other wavelengths, looking at the same object. And the Hubble, which is, it's been having problems. It's, it's an old girl now. She's been going since 1990. And uh, eventually the Hubble will fail. And then um, they had to fix it only a few weeks ago. I think I mentioned that last month. Um, but if they get the two working in tandem side by side, the results will be spectacular. I understand from conversations I've had only recently that even now, although officially the Hubble is never going to be serviced again, um, evidently there is talk of a SpaceX Dragon spacecraft possibly going up to do something, maybe to repair it, fix it or move it, whatever. Uh, that is very much, that's hot from the press, that story, and uh, is yet to be finalised, but I understand discussions are taking place. So we've got this James Webb Space Telescope that's all folded up and it gets launched, it reaches its point and then it unfolds. That's correct. And and then it is fixed there at a point at, at a point in space, a point in time yep. and starts yep. sending sending that's data the back. Plan. Well, it was launched. It had been delayed since early December and then it was delayed to the 22nd. And you may have seen it on the news. It was launched successfully. It's now on its way. It's going to take about 10 days to reach its point in orbit where it can start unfurling everything. It's got a big, massive, because it's got a big mirror, you've got to protect it from the sunlight. So it's got a big, massive sun shield. It's got all sorts of things attached to it. It's probably the most complicated piece of science being launched ever. And uh, as I say, in a few days time, um, we'll hopefully get it in position uh, get it unfurled, get it operating, and hopefully we'll look out for the results to come. Something tells me, Howard, that the James Webb Space Telescope is something that we'll be talking about quite a bit in oh, the coming I, year. I suspect so, especially when we start to get some fantastic results from it. 
indeed. We look forward to that. So, from developments in space, let's come right back down to London. (laughs) And a certain Mr Howard Parkin had a very special reason to be going to London a few weeks ago. Remind us, Howard, why you had to go. Yes, it's embarrassing to talk about, really, because it was such an amazing experience for me because I was invited to go down to the British Astronomical Association's Christmas meeting where I was presented with the Sir Patrick Moore Award. Um, for services to astronomy, basically uh, encouraging the, the general interest and popular interest in astronomy and also in children. Uh, this was announced in October. I think I covered it uh, when we did our October stroke November programmes. And the actual event took place on the 4th of December. Uh, we flew down to London that morning. Everything went like clockwork. We got on the train. We got to Oxford Street, which is just behind Oxford Street, where the meeting was at the Royal College of Medicine. And uh, I was introduced on stage and uh, there's myself and two others. This award was given to three of us jointly, which is what they do normally, I believe. And uh, I had to say a few words about it. And I said what I said then, and I'll say again now, um, it wasn't... Yes, receiving the award was a fantastic um, accolade for me. I was really delighted and embarrassed to get it. But it's great to be recognised by your peers. But what was significant is Sir Patrick Moore was a good friend of ours in the Isle of Man. He was the patron of our astronomical society here in the Isle of Man. He came to the Isle of Man in 1993, gave us a public lecture. He wouldn't take expenses. I could tell you lots of stories about him. One I will tell about him was when he checked into the Sefton Hotel and the the register had been signed for him, Patrick Moore, occupation astrologer. He was a haughty sort of tut 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 crossed it out and wrote astronomer on the top of it he was just an amazing character and all my interest in astronomy maybe not all but certainly a huge amount of my interest in astronomy was born by his enthusiasm which infected me and if i'm passing that on in a small way then it's a great comparison i'm, I'm humbled to be thought of in the same breath you won't have gone to london and come back without some stories for us <laughs> Well, most certainly, because the first, uh, basically, they give the prize givings first. There's about four or five recipients of different awards at this meeting, and we all said a few words. But then we had a series of lectures. The first one was about multiverse theory. And multiverse theory is something I've always been a bit reluctant to consider or talk about or know much about. And this lady, the Astronomer Royal for Scotland, no less, gave this wonderful talk about the origin of multiple universes. It's a theory, not a most popular theory. It's one which I've always been against, and the Hubble Space Telescope information in recent years has dismissed the multi-universe theory, Uh, but she actually put the case that there is multiverses out there and they all have different space-time operating within them. Believe me, I I think I know a bit about astronomy, but she lost me halfway through. It was incredible. But it, it was put about in such an engaging and interesting way that it was it was amazing and this was followed by another lady talking about the Winchcombe meteorite now a lot of people won't know about the Winchcombe meteorite it's the first big meteorite fall in the UK since 1990 I think it was and this lump of um, rock literally landed on someone's drive in Gloucester um, in May last year and uh, fortunately, um, they found out about it. It was seen in the sky. It wasn't seen from the island, although it went across the, um, the South Irish Sea and was seen by lots of people. And they actually found it on the drive of this house. And it broke into millions of fragments. And they reckon they've collected nearly all of it in. And the people have very kindly donated it to the Natural History Museum, which is where the lecture was from. Um, the lady was from who was talking about it. And there's so much information we can learn from that because one of the things we want to do in space is to go to asteroids or meteors or comets or whatever and collect material well here's 
the lump of material landed on the doorstep in England um, in May, and that is obviously going to be heavily analysed now, and uh, we'll learn more about the origins of our solar system, the planets, and all that. Fascinating talk, and a complete contrast to the sort of head-blowing one about the multiverses uh, before that. And then finally, a friend of the Isle of Man, Nick, gave us a talk about um, what's coming up in the night sky in the next few months and spoke about the eclipse of the sun that took place in Antarctica, although it was cloudy, I'm afraid, to anyone who went there. If you'd wanted to go to Antarctica to see the total eclipse of the sun on the 4th of December, Judith, £34,000 a ticket. And it was cloudy. That's the depressing part. They went all that way to see it. I mean, to go to Antarctica is a dream of my own anyway. Uh, and Nicole Stott, incidentally, Nicole Stott, who's a great friend of the, the Society and, and uh, the Isle of Man, uh, she went, uh, I suspect she went on a, um, she'd be doing some TV programme or something. Well, but, yes, um, yeah. but he But he talked about that and he spoke about other things that are going on, the planets in the sky, which we've already mentioned about. But it was a fantastic occasion. January, February is usually the speaking circuit for you, it isn't it? It certainly is, and I've committed myself to so many different talks, I can't remember where I'm going now. I know I'm doing two at The Sound on the 15th and the 16th of January. I'm also doing one at Neyarbel on the 10th of um, February and a new a new um, venture for me. I'm doing one at the um, Mountain View Innovation Centre, um, 18th of February, I think it is, which is going to be interesting because that's a great venue. I don't know if you've been up there or people have been up there. Great venue, huge, massive TV screens. I'm assuming that you will be in Babbage's. Babbage's, yes. Excellent. As you say, technically, it's an excellent venue because it's lovely, comfortable seating and it's very spacious and it's got the last word in technology. So anything so. that you want to put up on the screens, yeah. everybody will be able to see. Well, looking forward to it. And the one thing I should say in all these talks I'm doing throughout the island, um, as I say, Neabal, the sound there and maybe others I'm doing as well. Um, remember, uh, the plan is it is stargazing and or a talk. Remember, months ago we spoke about my book, the original title was it Star- It's Cloudy, Here's Howard. Uh, that was the original working title. And if it's clear... I will give a shortened talk and then take everyone outside stargazing. But of course, the Manx weather being what the Manx weather is, sometimes um, you'll have to listen to me instead. Well, that's no hardship. But the the fact is that the venues that you're choosing are very, very far away from light pollution. Indeed, that's one of the attractions. So the the, the best chance of you being able to go out and do some stargazing. We we did that successfully at the Sound in November. We had a wonderful night at the Sound. It actually clouded over, then it cleared again, and there was about 20 of us stayed behind after, and it was just great. And that's what I love doing. I love to talk about it, but then if I get the chance to point out what I've just been talking about to people uh, after the event, to me, that's, uh, that's what it's all about. So is there any central place where people can look and see what... Do you put this up on your social media or... or I do. I tend to put it on my own uh, Facebook page, Howard Parkin. I've also put it on the Dark Skies Isle of Man one, which I'm a co-author of with Bill Dale. And uh, I put all my events on there. And that does seem to attract a lot of interest and a lot of questions and obviously uh, generates quite a few bookings. But the sound, I know, are doing it on their own website. I know they um, are, are. And I'm sure Babbage's um, Mountain View Innovation Centre will be putting on their site as well. So go to facebook.com, search for any one of those. Yep. Start with Howard Parkin and work down from that. And you will be made very welcome. Howard, we've been beaten by the clock. What are you, once again? As always, all it remains is for me to say, Howard Parkin, thank you very much for joining us tonight. As always, this programme will be available shortly as a podcast via our website, manxradio.com. Howard, a very happy new year to you. And the same to you, Judith. Thank you. And we look forward to welcoming you back into the studio in 2022 on the final Sunday of January. Thank you. Good night. Oh,
Station, Manx Radio. 